thank you that what we just sang about is not a fairy tale. It's not make-believe. It's not pretend. There's nothing more true. And Lord, we look to you this morning. Um, pray that you would just gently come as the good shepherd that you are, the glory and the lifter of our head, and that you would lift hopeless heads this morning, Lord, hearts that are despairing, and that you'd help them to fix their eyes upon you. The author and the perfecter of our faith who has passed through death and has risen again, and that you offer us that same abundant resurrection life in Christ Jesus. So please come in your power and your authority this morning and do what only you can do, and that is change us. Change us from the inside out into the image of Christ. We love you so much, and we thank you for this time that we get to spend together. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Well, good morning. If you've got your Bibles, grab them. Go to Romans chapter 16. We are just about done with the book of Romans. We are actually going to finish the book of Romans, Lord willing, in two weeks. Next week, uh, joint Christmas service, we're going to uh, be in the book of Isaiah for that. Um, by the way, next week, um, I'm, I'll probably mention this at the end, there'll probably be some announcements next week as well too, but next week it is a joint service. There's also no kids' church. The nursery will be opened if you want to take your kid up there, but will not be staffed, but it's going to be tight. So when you arrive next week, just know that we're going to need, a, we need everybody to pack to the center and we're probably going to need every seat uh, that we can find. But um, Romans has been awesome. I am excited to finish it because the guys always give me grief that I never finish books that I start. Um, I, early on, we started the book of Daniel. Uh, this was in the first year that we started the church. We started in Philippians, and we started the book of Daniel, and then I got to chapters 10 and 11, and I was like, I don't understand what's going on here. It's super apocalyptic stuff, and I kind of went to something else. And then we did the book of Exodus. I did the vast majority of the book of Exodus, but didn't quite finish the book of Exodus. So anyway, the guys have been giving me grief that I don't finish what I start, but this one we're going to finish by God's grace. Um, And so today we are in Romans chapter 16, verses 17 through 23. Let me read it. We'll get into it. Paul says, I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sisypater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus, greet you. Let's pray one more time. God, please help us. Please help us. Please help us. Open the eyes of our heart that we might see wonderful things from your word. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Do many of you remember the story of Little Red Riding Hood? Anybody? Little Red Riding Hood. She was on her way to Grandma's house through the woods, and she encountered a wolf who wanted what was in her basket uh, that she was taking to Grandma's house uh, because her grandma was not feeling well. The wolf runs ahead. Um, again, I was thinking about this this past week. Very, very dark children's story. Um, uh, the wolf swallows Grandma whole. Uh, and eats her, or in some later PG versions, I guess, he locks her in the closet. Uh, But either way, a little bit traumatic. Um, 
And then the wolf dresses up as grandma. And there's those classic lines where Little Red Riding Hood comes in thinking that she's talking with her grandma. And she says, my, what a deep voice you have, grandma. All the better to greet you with, my dear. My, what big feet you have, grandma. All the better to embrace you with, my dear. My, what big teeth you have, grandma. And again, quite dark, but all the better to eat you with, my dear. And, 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 and jumps on Little Red Riding Hood and um, takes her out. Now, in some later versions, there's kind of a positive twist in that a lumberjack comes and saves grandma and Little Red Riding Hood. But from what I understand this past week, I actually did a little bit of research on this. I'm a little bit embarrassed about that. But, um, but in the original version, that is where the story ends. The wolf eats grandma and Little Red Riding Hood. Have a great day. That's, that was, was the end of it. Now, unfortunately, uh, many Christians and many churches are not much more discerning than Little Red Riding Hood. What I want to tell you this morning is that wolves are real. And with their big teeth, their big hands, and their deep voice, folks, it's not grandma in disguise. Or, yeah, <laughs> it's not grandma. <laughs> it's the wolf in disguise. And there are many Christians that want to pretend like wolves don't exist. There's many churches that want to pretend like wolves don't exist. But wolves are real. And what Paul's going to talk about this morning as he, as he closes out this letter is the need to stand against false doctrine. Now, if you've been noticing, as, Paul, as we've been moving towards the end of this letter, um, Paul does kind of circle the plane, okay? Meaning he comes in a couple times and he's slowly beginning his descent onto the ground. Um, and so if you, look, if you look back quickly with me, just in the context of like maybe the end of, or middle of chapter 15, verse 13, it kind of sounded like he was going to end the letter. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Or maybe at the very end of chapter 15, verse 33, he says, may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Sounds like he's ending. Uh, again, maybe uh, the end of the passage we looked at last week, verse 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Um, I think it's, it's, it's fair to say that Paul is maybe having a little bit of a hard time wrapping up the letter, and yet there's some intention to it. Yesterday, we were down at uh, my sister's in Dayton for a, a Christmas get-together on my side of the family, and when we went to leave, there, were, there was not just one goodbye. There were several goodbyes. I said goodbye in the living room, and then I don't know if you're this person in your family, but I know that if I don't make us leave, we will never leave, and I knew that I had to preach today, so I was like, we, you know, we got to go. I didn't want to get home too late, and so we said goodbye in the living room, and then we said goodbye again in the kitchen, and then we said goodbye again as we were kind of uh, uh, heading out the door, and I think that's what's going on here. Um, however, I, I would say that Paul's, what Paul says here, it's not just random. Many commentators and, and, and scholars, as I've read this past week and studying this passage, they kind of think that some even go so far as to say that the passage that we're going to look at this morning, verses 17 through 23, was maybe added later. No, 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 not at all. It's actually, this, this warning against false teaching is actually quite fitting. This passage is not a random addendum 
to the end of the letter, but, it's perfect, but it is a perfectly fitting application to all that Paul has said in the letter up until this point. It makes sense to pointedly warn against false doctrine in the same way that we are given light for the very purpose of exposing darkness. And that's what the book of Romans has been. It's like a great beam of light and truth coming into the darkness, and we need to be warned against it. Um, Sinclair Ferguson said about the early church that in the first three centuries, the early church considered false teaching more dangerous than that of martyrdom. He said, martyrdom could never really kill them. False teaching always would. False teaching always would. And see, this warning here against false teaching and against wolves this morning, you got to understand that what this warning that Paul gives, Paul is not speaking as some sort of a tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist, trying to warn us against something that's never actually going to happen, but he's speaking as that of a wise, godly shepherd who has encountered many a wolf and who knows the carnage that they can cause. And what I want to show you this morning from the text primarily kind of the main target statement that I want to put forward, is just that false doctrine, false teaching, it is not just a problem in the church. It is the problem in the church. It is the problem in the church. And hopefully I can show you that as we work our way through it here. Just two questions that I want to kind of frame the text with this morning. Number one, why is false teaching so dangerous? And then secondly, how do we fight it or stand against it? Why is it so dangerous and how do we stand against it that we may not end up like Little Red Riding Hood? First of all, false doctrine always hinders our access to Jesus. The first reason false doctrine is so dangerous, it always hinders our access to Jesus. It creates obstacles, as Paul says. Look at verse 17. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, or yeah, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out, watch out for those who, two things, cause division and create obstacles. Now, false teaching will always cause division within the church. That is, I think that's true. That's what Paul's talking about here primarily, but I think there's more to be said as well about how false teachers actually cause divisions within the word of God. They come in and they twist it. Paul says that in Tim- to Timothy that we want to be workmen who are approved, who rightly handle the word of truth, or rightly divide the word of truth, but false teachers divide it wrongly. They come in and they twist the word, and then those two things cause divisions, and then he says they create obstacles. It's literally the the, the Greek word scandalon, which is where we get the word scandal. It's the idea of a trap. They're going to place things in the way of getting access to Jesus. And here's the good news of the gospel. And this is why it's so important. The good news of the gospel isn't that we have to do a bunch of stuff to get to Jesus. It's that Jesus came near to us. It's the whole thing that we're celebrating this season, the incarnation. The good news of the gospel is that God came near and that the only thing that we need to do to receive that is to receive it by faith. By simply receiving it, that's it. False teachers will always stand against this. They, they create obstacles. They cause divisions. And that idea of divisions there, it also carries with it the idea of like confusion. Good doctrine always creates a straight path clear path to Jesus. False doctrine always creates obstacles. And this is what he's talking about here. Over in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul also, again, in most of Paul's letters, he is always addressing false doctrine in some way, shape, or form in their different contexts. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, 
Paul, writing to Timothy, says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrines, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which, listen, they promote speculations, idea of division, confusion. Well, they're saying a lot of words and it sounds kind of good, but I don't really get what the point is. Exactly. There is no point other than to keep you from simple faith in Jesus. He says, rather than the stewardship of God, which is by faith, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus did everything that we could not do. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He went to the cross. He died as our sacrifice sacrifice substitute and Savior on the cross, taking the punishment that we deserve. He rose again from the dead on the third day because it was impossible for death to keep him in the ground, the Bible says, because he had lived this pure, spotless, acceptable life before God, the life that we should have lived, but we did not. And he ascends to the Father's right hand, and he says, you can have eternal life if you will just repent, turn from living for yourself, what you've been living for, what you've been believing in, and believe in me. Believe that my death and resurrection is enough, and if you do that, you can have eternal life. Such good news. He's done all the work, and he offers it to us freely. But false teaching always wants to stand in the way of that. This is, we could, we could do like a whole series on this. I'm just gonna give you, I'm gonna give you six categories very quickly to help identify false teaching. If you like to take notes, you might wanna write these down, but I'm not gonna spend a whole lot of time on them. Number one, legalism. Legalism, legalism is, the, is just simply the religion of human achievement. We're very familiar with this in this area. Is that yes, we say Jesus, yes, it's faith in Jesus, but it's Jesus plus. I also gotta do this, I gotta act this way, I gotta dress a certain way, I gotta belong to a certain denomination, I can do this, I can't, I can't do that. Legalism is a religion of human achievement. Secondly, mysticism. Mysticism. Mysticism is the pursuit of spiritual experiences that are subjective to human interpretation. You talk to certain people and they believe it, you can tell they believe in mysticism. It's all about this vision they've had or this word that they've heard or this dream that they had and somebody you know, spoke this prophecy over them or, or, or whatever and they're, and they're trying to live by that. And it's these mystical spiritual experiences that are always subjective to human interpretation and they end up being a cat or a dog that just simply chases their tail for decades. Legalism, mysticism, third, asceticism. Asceticism is the belief that extreme self-denial is a way to attain new levels of spirituality. So people um, that fast for extreme amounts of times, and again, the, the Bible speaks about fasting, fasting just very quickly, is a good way to heighten our awareness of the spiritual realm just because we're reminded that man does not live on bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And it can be a good way to just um, uh, kind of heighten our senses to what's really important and that which is eternal. However, asceticism takes it too far. Asceticism says that if I just deny myself, if, if I treat the body harshly, then maybe um, I can attain some sort of new level of spirituality. So again, it's kind of mingled with mysticism in that sense. Um, Fourthly, hedonism. Have you guys ever heard of hedonism? Hedonism is just uh, the idea that the aim of all of life is natural pleasure. So anything that we can possibly do that feels good, this is what it means to be human. And we just take it in, and this is the height of our experience here on this earth and this little life that we have is just to take in as much pleasure as possible. Fifthly, you have intellectualism. Intellectualism is the belief um, that earthly knowledge will somehow bring enlightenment. And so we learn, and so we learn, and so we learn, and so we learn, and we end up being, these people end up being, as Paul described in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he said they are always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Intellectualism. Very popular. 
especially in the West, in America. <laughs> and then sixth is syncretism. And syncretism, and this is by far and away, I would argue, although it's my opinion, I would argue that syncretism is by far and away what is most popular, not just in America, but in the evangelical American church. Is that you take a little bit or some of all of these things and you sprinkle some Jesus on it and then you call that your belief system. Is you take a little bit of legalism and then you take a little bit of mysticism, some experience that you had, and then you take a little bit of hedonism too because we like pleasure and we justify our sin. We say, well, God's, God's, God's gracious. And we just kind of mingle these things together and you basically have what you find in the church in America is a mingling of all these different false doctrines and the whole time we don't, re, we don't understand that behind it all is a wolf that wants to devour us. But false doctrine is always going to hinder access to Jesus. It is going to create obstacles. The gospel is that Jesus has come and done everything that's needed to be done and we simply receive it by faith. Secondly, false doctrine is dangerous because it always hinders the agenda of Jesus. The agenda of Jesus. Look here and watch the flow of thought. Contrary, verse 17, contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught, he says avoid them. Verse 18, for such persons do not serve the Lord Christ. They do not serve the Lord Christ. Whose agenda are they after? Well, first of all, they're not after the Lord Jesus' agenda. They're not after the agenda of the Lord Christ. Well, whose agenda are they after? Not the Lord Christ, but their own appetites. Their own bellies is what they're after. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. See, false doctrine is dangerous because it not only hinders access to Jesus, but it hinders his agenda. And this is why Paul's warning the church about it. We are his body here on earth. And we have this truth, not just to say, I know the truth. We have the truth to share the truth. To live lives on mission that defeat the darkness and that defeat the enemy, that defeat the wolf. But instead, too often, unfortunately, the body of Christ has found itself subjected and wounded to, or wounded by, the bite, the teeth of the wolf. Because when we gobble up false doctrine, it keeps us from the agenda of Jesus and what he wants to do. And this idea here of serving their own appetites, it's, it's not just referring to eating. Paul's using it as a metaphor. Any sort of fleshly desire, like I mentioned hedonism just a little bit ago. See, let me pause here for a second because I think what many of you might have in your mind right now as I've kind of set this up this morning and talking about false doctrine, what you have in your mind is simply, and, and it would include this, but it's not only this, what you have in your mind is a man on TV whose wife has big hair and too much makeup on and he's asking you for money so that he can buy a new jet, okay? Now, it includes that. But if I can just bring it down and make it a lot more real, false doctrine, it's not just that. It's also a man or a woman who is flirting with somebody at work who's not their spouse and is on the brink of having an affair, you say, Eric, that, that, that's not a theological issue, that's a moral issue. Oh, I know it's a moral issue, but underneath the morality is theology. And let me tell you something. I've sat in the meetings where I have heard and seen people do the theological gymnastics to justify their immoral lifestyle. 
I've sat in the meetings with the dudes that are like, well, yeah, but you don't understand. It's, our marriage is just hard. And God wants me happy. And I do know, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I gotta admit that you know, adultery's wrong, but I, I, I plan to ask God forgiveness of it. I've heard those exact words. See, it's not just a morality issue, it's a theology issue. The wolf isn't just on TV trying to get you to give, to give some money to something that's pointless, to his own belly or to his own appetite. He might be whispering in your ear day by day. See, this isn't just a problem in the church, it's the problem in the church. And we have to be aware that this is ultimately what it's aiming for. Again, it's, you're like, well, how do they, how do they get away with this? Well, look, look what he says. And again, we, we like to act like, oh, it's spiritual warfare, and you know, it's, it's so deep and it's so difficult. No, th- this is what's really at stake here. Look at, how, how do they get away with this? Because again, it, it, you know, the question might be, Eric, if this is so insidious, if it's so bad, how, surely I can spot a wolf. Well, here's what they do. They got smooth talk. Mm. Smooth operators. Smooth talk and flattery. And they deceive the hearts of the naive. Let me just put it like this. Listen, fleshly desires are very strong and flattering speech is very soothing. And listen to me, my dear friend. Do not think that you are not susceptible to it. Don't think that for a second. Let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. This is the work of a wolf or a snake, as we'll see in a little bit. Third, false doctrine, it also hinders our allegiance to Jesus. Not only our access and and his agenda, but it hinders our allegiance to Jesus. Look at the word obedience in verse 19. Now Paul is, he's, again, he's warning, lovingly warning the Roman church. It's not that they were um, being eaten by the wolf as he spoke, but Paul knew that wolves were real. And again, I don't, even, I don't even have this in my notes this morning, but go read Acts 20 sometime. Paul's last words, some of his last words to the Ephesian elders, where he had spent two years teaching every day. I mean, can you imagine that? So much, like, I would have loved to have been there in Ephesus for two years every day. Paul is lecturing, and when he eventually goes to leave, he, goes that I, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will arise even from among your own members and will devour many. And um, here's what he said. And so he's, anyway, he's writing to the Roman church, and they're standing firm in the moment, but look at verse 19. He says, for your obedience, circle that word, your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. He's saying, look, you guys are doing good right now. That's awesome. But he's saying, just because you're doing good right now, the point is, it's not that you always will be. You gotta understand, there are wolves in disguise that want to eat you. And so, false doctrine, I say here that it hinders our allegiance to Jesus, or another way to put it, just as Paul puts it here, he says, it, it hinders, or I could say, it hinders our obedience to Jesus. The Roman church was obeying God, but this is what, exactly what the wolf is against. And this is what his lies and false doctrine ultimately are aimed at, to get us to stop being obedient to Jesus. And again, everything we do comes out of who we are. 
Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And did you notice the little phrase there right before that at the end of verse 18? Who through their smooth talk and their flattery, what do they do? They deceive the hearts of the naive. See right, right there it is. There it is. There it is. Gets your heart. You, you, you hang around lies for long enough. You take me, you grow immune to them, and pretty soon they just work their way from your mind. And you had a little bit of a check, and you're like, yeah, that, that's not right. No, I can't do that. No, that's clearly sin. And after a while, though, it just gets down into your heart. I go to this story a lot because it's just simply one of my favorites in the Bible, especially even just from being a kid growing up, but Samson and Delilah. Samson toyed and toyed and toyed and toyed and toyed and toyed and toyed with sin until finally it got him. And in Judges chapter 16, he's doing this little thing with Delilah where she's trying to figure out where his strength comes from and he tells her some lies and then she tries to trap him and then he gets away and everything's just a joke to him. But then finally, in Judges 16 verse 15, She says to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? A little later, verse 17, it says, and he told her all that was in his heart. And then verse 18, when Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines saying, come again, for he has told me all that was in his heart. See, eventually the lies, they filter their way down. And we like to act that it's some sort of deep spiritual stronghold or something, but what it really is is smooth talk and flattery. And it feels kind of good. And eventually we latch onto it and we end up, like Samson did, with his eyes gouged out, bound in shackles and chains, and grinding grain for the enemy. In Proverbs, Solomon says, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. And then he says this, keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. See, let me tell you one, just from a pastoral perspective, one of the dangers, not just for you, but for me as well, just in our context, is we've spent a year going through some of the weightiest, most, I I don't know, exhaustive, um, clear truth that there is anywhere in the Bible, in the book of Romans. And again, why this warning here at the end was good for the church in Rome and it's good for us today too as we close out this studying this letter is because it's very easy to say, oh yeah, spend a whole year going through the book of Romans. Yeah, but are you watching out for wolves? Or are you just, yeah, we went through the book of Romans and now the wolves, you think he's just gonna leave you alone? No, no. He'll come after us all the harder. And we have to obey Paul's, Paul's warning here. And again, the idea of the heart. Um, I, you know, I'm not one to go to the doctor very quickly. Um, 
you know, you bang your knee, you get some stitches. I mean, I've got some scars on me that, like, I probably should have had some stitches, but I just didn't, didn't want to mess with it. My brother-in-law, one time, <laughs> we were doing sighting, and I, I cut my arm with a knife, and um, it definitely should have had a stitch. Like, I've got a pretty decent-sized scar there, and he's like, I can put some super glue on that. And I was like, all right, so we, we put some super glue on it, and, but, <laughs> but not when it comes to issues of the heart, folks. When it comes to issues of the heart, you don't, you don't play around with that. And that's what I'm saying. This is an issue, this is a heart issue. This will get you. And we need to be able to spot it and look out for it. So let me answer the second question. The first one was, why is it so dangerous? I just gave you those three reasons. But secondly, how do we stand against it? How do we fight it? Well, it's quite straightforward. Um, to go back to verse 17 again. You watch out and you avoid people that teach this stuff. And the idea of watch out here, it literally is, is the idea of keep your eye on. Keep your eye on wherever, keep your eye on them. Not because you're listening to them and taking in their flattering words and their, their smooth speech, but because you know that they're dangerous. It's the idea of watching out for it, and then he says, and avoid them. <laughs> keep your eye on them and stay away from them. And not just stay away. And again, the idea here is, is, is of them that like individuals carry this. Now, now can I just say this very practically? Um, there are many Christians who want to live in just fairy tale pretend land. You want the world just to be sterile. You never want to have a confrontational conversation with anybody over anything. Too bad. <laughs> you have to mark them and you have to avoid them. In other words, sometimes somebody's going to say something and somebody's going to be near to you just by maybe through relationship, family, proximity, or whatever, and they're going to be spewing lies and they're going to be spewing lies to your kids or to people in your small church or to people that you know, and you're going to have to stand up and say that what they're saying is wrong. And let me just, let me, let's just go right through it, okay? Like, it will be awkward. Yeah? It will be awkward. If you want to be a mature Christian, let me tell you something. You are going to have to have awkward conversations. There's no way around it. And we hate this, right? Can I get an amen? Anybody else? I mean, I don't like it. Like, but Eric, you're a jerk. It doesn't bother you. No, I'm really not. Like, I, I'm not, <laughs> I don't try to, but like, you, you have to have awkward conversations, You've got to call it out. And so how do, we, how do we fight against it? How do we stand against it? we got to identify them, and we have to avoid, avoid them. Secondly, we have to be wise. We have to grow in wisdom. Okay, And this is just great practical advice. Look at verse 19. Again, he says, Your obedience is known to all that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is is evil. The, the idea of wisdom here, it's the idea of, of growing in a skill and being good at it. And he's like, I want you to grow in being good at goodness itself. Um, and again, when, when the Bible talks about wisdom, it's never just talking simply about information or knowledge. It's talking about the application and the ability to apply that knowledge or information. Okay, so what I mean is, if, if I go home and I just binge watch all week long, is, I don't know how many hours are a week, but however many that is, if I just spend every waking hour 
watching YouTube videos on how to make cabinets, all right? Even though I would have accumulated all that knowledge, the Bible would not call me wise. The Bible would call me wise when I have a shop full of cabinets that by the information that I've taken, I have learned how to apply and make nice cabinets that people want to buy. Are you following me? And so many Christians are deceived. This is why James says, don't just be hearers of the word and deceive yourselves. How can I deceive myself? Because you're hearing it, he says, but you're not doing it. See, wisdom comes when we're able to, oh yeah, false teachers are out there, we'll name some. Or false teaching is out there, we'll show some to me. Because again, Paul is not just making this up because he's a conspiracy theorist. Wolves abound, folks. Wolves are everywhere. And then you ask us, we'll, we'll point some out. Well, I, you know, I, I mean, I don't, know. I don't know. Because we've not grown in wisdom. So Paul's saying here, be wise, be skilled in what is, is, is good, both morally and theologically. Okay, and then he says, be innocent of what is evil. No, in the same way that you want to know about what's good, both doctrinally and morally, in the same way, you don't want to have anything to do with evil. Young people, if I can just speak to you for just a second here. One of the greatest lies that the devil will try to get you to believe, it seems, not that he doesn't do this with adults as well too, but one of the greatest lies that he will get you to believe is, well, I, I, can, I can live this way now, and you know, and maybe you've even grown up in church and you, and you kind of have done some theological gymnastics in your mind already. Is, you know, you've heard the testimony of the person who once used to drink and then God set him free, or who once was addicted to pornography and then God set him free, or who once did some drugs or ran around or did some things they shouldn't have done and God has now set him free. And you're like, well, that's, you know, I mean, I can do this now because, you know, but, but I'll get there someday. You are believing a lie. And the wolf is about to sink his teeth into you. Do not do it. You, young person, you do not want, believe me, you do not want the testimony of having gone through that and then having to come out the other side because there are always still consequences. Now, to be abundantly clear, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Amen? Amen. He is free. And Jesus Christ does change lives. He does transform people. But young person, you don't, on the front end of that, you do not want that testimony, I promise you. Because it involves a ton of pain. And what the Apostle Paul would exhort you to do, as well as everybody here, no matter what your age, is be innocent of what is evil. Be innocent of it, please. Because when the wolf bites you, it's nasty. <coughs> now, all that to bring us to verse 20. Uh, Verse 20, if I'm honest, this is where I was really wanting to get. Um, all this stuff leads up to this, but verse 20, I just could, I hope that I can explain this well. I almost can't handle it. The Bible is so awesome, folks. The Bible is so, can I say stinking awesome? Stinking awesome, like that's probably a bad adjective, but the Bible is just so awesome. Okay, look at verse 20. And then Paul said, you know, like, what is this? Is this random? Oh, no, 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 no. It's not random at all. Verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under whose feet? Your feet. What is going on here? Well, there is a lot going on here. And it is brilliant, and it is spirit-inspired, and it is beautiful, and it is compelling, and it is helpful, and I hope that I can explain it in the little bit of time that I've got left. So what Paul does here 
in verse 20 with saying, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, is he, he just, he brings everything that he's been talking about, especially in this passage with this warning, he just kind of encapsulates it. Uh, he, it's like putting a ribbon on a present, okay, this time of year. He just wraps it all together and brings it to a fitting presentation. Um, and what you have here are, again, kind of, kind of actually two things continuing in the flow of thought. Um, you have actually another reason why false teaching is so dangerous, and you also have another indicator as to how we are to fight against it or stand against it, okay? Um, first of all, the reason why it's so dangerous, everything that he's just described about these false teachers and the false teaching and the doctrine, and again, I know he doesn't list these things, but I tried to give you just a few practical buckets to, or categories to put these things into with legalism, mysticism, asceticism, hedonism, intellectualism, syncretism, and such. You know who's behind it all? Satan. <laughs> That's who's behind it all. It, it's not cute, it's not cuddly, it's not inconsequential. Satan is behind it all. And so if you'll just go back here, I, I, want, I would argue, and again, we don't, um, me and Mark were talking about this this past week, Mark's preaching out west today, and how much this passage has echoes of Genesis 3 in it. And it's, it's so rich and so beautiful that we were both just kind of like overwhelmed in how to even get there and present it. Um, but just quickly, let me read Genesis chapter 3 starting in verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, and now I want you to listen to this smooth talk. Remember smooth talk back in verse 18? Listen to this smooth talk. He shows up, and notice he doesn't say, Man, God's wrong. Man, God's holding out on you. Man, God, shh. He doesn't want what's best for you. No, here, what's he say? Did, he goes, did, did God actually say? That's some smooth talk. Questions? So where false teaching and lies, where we begin to learn, um, when we begin to believe lies is where it often starts. It's just with questions. Questions that have no answer. Sometimes people are like, well, I'm just asking the question. Well, I'd like if you just give an answer too. Because many times it just, did God actually say? You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And then she begins to engage. It says, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, which was an addition. Not true, he didn't say that. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And then verse 4, and now here comes the flattery. Remember verse 18? Smooth talk and flattery. But the serpent said to the woman, Flattery, you will not surely die going to be all right. It's okay. That's not going to happen to you. Don't be so negative. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin cloths. Now, God had warned Adam 
before Eve even came on the scene, he said, don't, don't do this. Don't eat of this tree. And again, the woman gets blamed a lot of times for you know, being deceived by the serpent, but the man wasn't doing his part. So if you just whittle this all down to like, it's almost like a, a simple, least common denominator of a story, thinking about community within the church. Adam didn't heed the warning that Paul gives to the church here. Watch out. Avoid. Be aware. The lies are out there. Here's what you need to do. Don't do this. Heed my command. And so in their little community, their little church of just the two of them in that first marriage, they didn't heed it. And would it be fair to say this? That because they did not heed the warning, a lot went very, very badly. Fair? And by a lot, I mean literally everything. The world was then covered with death. Relational death, spiritual death, physical death, pain of all sorts because they did not heed the warning to avoid false doctrine, what they've been taught. And so it matters because ultimately the same devil that was in the garden is behind the false teaching that existed in Paul's day and that still exists in our day. And while this is a great warning for us, we're also given some, some instruction here to help us overcome it, along with what I said of you know identifying, marking them, keeping our eye on them, avoiding them, being wise, what's good, innocent of what is, what is evil, because this is also, verse 20, a promise. It's unbe- an unbelievable promise. And the promise, if I just had to kind of sum it up, remember who's ultimately behind it, as I've just said, but remember where he ends up. Crushed under the feet of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Um, And several things going on here in this passage that just linguistically are um, interesting. First of all, why would the God of peace crush Hope we can put these together and put to rest once and for all the fact that we're never going to have to have any awkward conversations. If you want peace, it requires crushing at times. If you want peace, you've got to crush everything that comes against that peace. And again, the point here in the passage is God is going to do that. He's going to crush all lies. He's going to crush all darkness, all wickedness. Back, back again, back in Genesis chapter three, um, after God comes on the scene and the man blames the woman, the woman blames the snake, God then speaks and he begins to hand out these punishments. And in the midst of the punishment comes this beautiful promise. It's what um, theologians refer to as the proto-evangelium. It's the, like the first preaching of the gospel, if you will, is what that means. Genesis 3.14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and then here it comes. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Or bruise could also be translated crush. Is that there's this, there's this whisper in the very beginning, this promise of this serpent slayer that's going to come. 
And Paul here, at the end of this letter, this is what's so beautiful about it. It's like he goes back and he hooks the beginning of the storyline of the Bible and he pulls it all the way through, including everything else that's included in the Bible, and he brings it right up here to Romans chapter 16 in verse 20. Is that this is the storyline. Again, I said at the beginning that false doctrine isn't just a problem in the church, it's the problem in the church. And the reason it's not just a problem in the church, it's the problem in the church, is because it isn't just a problem in the Bible, it's the problem in the Bible. Are you seeing that? False doctrine is lies, folks. The devil is a liar. And I promise you that everything that keeps you bound this morning, where you feel enslaved in those, even as a believer, where you might feel enslaved and nobody else knows about it, but you feel enslaved in these little compartments of your life that only you and God know about it, the reason you stay enslaved is because you continue to believe a lie. I promise you that. I promise you that. And Jesus said they will know the truth and the truth will set them free. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And if you will just come to Jesus this morning, step into the light, receive by faith all that he has for you, he he wants to set you free. The message of the Bible this morning, listen, we, we make excuses all the time and it's part of the lies that we believe. Is we believe lies and then we believe lies about the lies that, well, you don't understand and this is the way I was raised and well, this is just what I was taught and you don't understand where I come from and we give excuse after excuse after excuse. But the Bible says, we've remembered it going back to the beginning of the book of Romans, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Amen? And it's powerful because it sets people free. And please hear me this morning. Don't, I, I know that I'm getting a little bit passionate here. Please, please hear my heart this morning. It makes me angry that the devil comes around and he comes with his lies and he gets Christians to become bound. But folks, the light of the gospel of God is enough. And there is going to be a day, don't know exactly when, I just know the Bible says as it says here, soon, 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 when the God of peace is going to come back and finally, completely, irrevocably, once for, boom, under his foot forever. All the lies, all the bondage, all the sin. But until then, we have this gospel to share and to believe and to live in light of. And if we walk in light of the gospel, we can walk in the freedom that Jesus Christ came to provide Again, false doctrine is not just something that theologians need to worry about. It's something that every single one of us encounters on a daily basis, and it's the reason why parts of our lives remain in bondage, because we believe them. Let me just, again, try to bring this on the ground even a little bit more as we close. And worship team, you can come up. I'll try to wrap this up, but I mean... Do you believe that there's no hope? You're believing a lie. Do you believe that, yeah, God loves other people and I know he loves the world, but he doesn't love me? You're believing a lie, dear friend. Do you believe that, yeah, God transforms other people's lives, but he'll never transform mine? You're believing a lie.
And I know this is heavy, but I'm not, we're not playing games here this morning. Have you been believing the lie that maybe the only way out is to take your own life? You're believing a lie. There is always hope. There is always hope. There is always hope. Maybe you're believing the lie that there's just no point, there's no purpose, you'll never be accepted, you'll never be good enough. You're believing a lie. Jesus has the answer for all those things in the gospel. And if you're in bondage this morning, and again, listen, I, I, I've been around church a long time. I know many of you have too. We can be, not always, please hear me. It's Because people want to make false accusations all the time that the church is filled with a bunch of hypocrites and whatever. No, that's... that's we're all sinners, yeah, and sometimes that looks like hypocrisy. But, but let me just say this, is that church folk, we can be some of the greatest pretenders that you've ever seen. We put on the mask that everything's all right when deep inside we are hurting terribly. And again, what I've tried to show this morning is that the reason you may be hurting terribly is because you're continuing to believe a lie. If I can just be really honest and transparent here, and I'll share this, and it might make sense, it might be shocking. I don't mean to be shocking, but I do mean to be honest. Um, probably the only person that knows this is my wife, and the elders have seen glimpses of it at times throughout my life. But only really in the last couple years have I truly... in. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but have I begun to walk in the actual freedom that the gospel provides? Um, it's not that I didn't know it. It's not that I wasn't saved. But for several years, the first many years of my Christian life, and even the first several years of starting Mercy Hill Church, um, is this is the honest truth. I'm not saying this just, just, just to be dramatic. I... It was very easy to me, for me to minister to other people because I truly believed that God loved them. And, and I would see it and I could do it with, I was not faking, I was not pretending. I would see them and I could minister to them because I saw it in his word, but I struggled. I mean, and I mean I truly struggled to believe that God loved me in the same way. I honestly mean that. What it looked like at home was that Eric Miller was very frustrated. Eric Miller was often very angry. He was often very cantankerous and upset and short-tempered. And it was all because I was believing a lie. And the wolf, the snake, whatever you want, was pulling me in and he was trying to devour me. But over the last couple years, it wasn't just one thing, it wasn't a lightning strike moment. Um, 
it wasn't, you know, I wasn't caught up into the third heaven and had some, and had some great epiphany. But I share, I share that just because I truly prayed that this morning would be a step towards freedom and in the right direction for anybody here who might be believing the same lie or some other lie. It doesn't really matter. It's all lies. <laughs> but a lie that Jesus Christ and his love can come to everybody else but not to you. My dear friend, he loves you just as much as he loves anybody on the face of this earth. And he has seen, he's the only one that has seen every single moment of your life, every moment. He knows not only what you've done, but he knows what's been done to you. He knows not only what you did, but why you did it. And he's holy, he doesn't wink, he doesn't wink at sin, he doesn't make light of it, but he has made provision for that sin. And in Christ Jesus, no matter what you've done, it can be forgiven. It can be washed away. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And the way that he crushes the serpent's head is by forgiving our sins and his accusations no longer have any power. Let's pray. Father, thanks for today. Thank you for your love for us. Lord, I, I thank you as we come to the close of this year, and I know it's not done yet. And Lord, we don't know what's going to happen this week, tomorrow, even later today. But Father, as we, Lord willing, finish up this book in a couple weeks, I pray that, I pray that we would not just say, oh, we, yeah, we went through the book of Romans. Aren't we spiritual? Don't we know a lot? No, no, no. I pray we take, I pray we take this truth. And I pray that you would apply it to each one of our hearts, to the lies that we believe. that you'd help us to walk in the freedom that you provide as your sons and daughters. We love you so much. Thank you for not only coming and dying on the cross for our sins and rising again on the third day, forgiving us your Holy Spirit, but thank you for giving us light through the truth of your word that we might see. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. You guys stand with me.